I think a lot of people have sort of leftover, if not remembrances, at least feelings of what learning about the Bible was like when we were seven or eight, perhaps, perhaps even in a different denomination or, or, or back when we were kids. And a lot of it wasn't just that we read the Bible, but either the Sunday school teacher or the minister or the nun or, or whoever was sort of the authority figure also told us, what we were supposed to believe about it, right? So it wasn't just, you know, reading the story and, and sort of, you know, what do you get out of it? But it was also, and here's what you should believe or else. <laughs> At least that was my experience. And so what I'm trying to do during this series is a little different. We're looking at some of the same material that maybe you did read or hear all those years ago, but my, in, my intention is to give you tools for doing the interpretation yourself. What I believe is that these same familiar parables out of the New Testament can work some magic in each one of us, but it's a unique magic. It is something, if you will, kind of a private message for each one of us, and really all I'm trying to do is to present some tools to you. Um, given that in mind, in lieu of today's joke, um, I have a, lo a, a letter that was written to Dr. Laura. Now, are all of you, some of you know who Dr. Laura is. So, so she's a, sort of a TV personality or a radio personality, and she has her own very firm idea that the Bible should be taken literally. And so this was a letter that was written to Dr. Laura. Dear Dr. Laura, Thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I've learned a great deal from you, and I try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. I do need, however, to get some good advice from you regarding some of God's specific laws and how best to follow them as a true believer. Now, for example, when I burn a bull on the altar as a sacrifice... I know that it creates a pleasing odor for the Lord, as it says in Leviticus, but the problem is my neighbors. They claim that the odor is not pleasing at all. How should I deal with this? Also, I would like to sell my daughter into slavery, as it, as it suggests in Exodus 21, verse 7. But in this day and age, honestly, what do you think would be a good price for her? <laughs> Also, Leviticus 25:44 states that I may buy slaves from the nations that are around us. But a friend tells me that this would apply to Mexico, but not to Canada. <laughs> Can you please clarify? And finally, my favorite one. I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath, but Exodus 35:2 clearly states that he should be put to death. I ask you, am I morally obligated to kill him myself? <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you took this in the spirit that was intended as, as just a good laugh. I mean, truly, can we imagine, can we imagine if we were to take everything literally written out in the Bible and follow it? Well, I hope not. I hope not. It's certainly not what we teach in the science of mind. But we are going to have some fun with the Bible. And I want to start with the parable of the barren fig tree. This is from Luke uh, 13, um, chapter 6 through 9. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he went to the man who took care of the vineyard. For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we'll cut it down. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So in the science of mind, we tend to attack the idea of of interpreting the parables using three sets of tools. And And I want to share these with you today as it applies to this particular parable. First of all, we often have to do a little bit of research, a little bit of re understanding of the literal meaning of it. Because of course, these were written 2000 years ago, at least. And so in the literal sense, this parable really is giving us good advice for taking care of fig trees on, the, on a very literal plane. And in fact, to reemphasize this in my own mind, you know me and the internet, I went to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And absolutely, they have very good advice for taking care of fig trees. And one of them is, don't assume that it's unproductive too soon, literally. Different kinds of figs planted in different soils in different parts of the country may take as long as five or six years before they produce their first fig. So those of you who are running out to, uh, to the nursery, you know, make sure, first of all, you get one that's appropriate for our climate here, and some of them can take many years before they come to fruition. So from, so from the get-go, on the literal plane, this parable is actually good advice. If you cut something down too quickly, you know, what's the point in that, right? You know, why have a fig tree for three or four years assuming you're going to get figs? It's really just clearing up some misinformation. All right, now on to the metaphysical meeting. Now, one of the things, of course, that we always talk about in the science of mind is what is our focus? Our focus, of course, is our mind, is our thoughts. Everything that we can see and hear and touch and taste and experience in the world is, whether we like it or not, an outgrowth of our own minds. And so that is the lens with which we then look at this parable. Literally, the fig tree is our mind. And if the fig tree is our mind, you can guess what the both either profitable or unprofitable figs are, right? They're our thoughts. So the simplest, uh, the, the simplest metaphor here is simply our own thoughts. Are our own thoughts productive, right? When we have started out on some new quest in life, whether it be a new job, a new relationship, or maybe it's fine-tuning or, or um, working with something that's already in our life, but, but the idea is we want to suggest some new energy going into it. This parable is suggesting that we have to give our due diligence to it. We can't simply do halfway measures and then go, oh, well, you know, I got halfway through the training on that new job, and I guess it isn't going to work out for me, right? We have to do what is necessary to give it our full attention for whatever course of time is necessary to really know whether that new set of thoughts, whether that new relationship, whether that new job, whether that new whatever it is, is going to work out for us. The other thing, though, that I think is equally important about this is it does actually set a time limit here, right? 
if it doesn't finally bear fruit on that last year, then we're cutting the sucker down, honestly. And this is a very practical thing for all of us. I was talking a little bit to Nancy Ashley um, before the last service, and she said, you know, on cursory reading of this, she's a drug and alcoholism counselor by, uh, by day, and she said, on cursory reading of this, it would seem to say it's okay for things just to keep going on and on and on. But I reminded her, no, Nancy, it's like, no, four years and then we cut it down. <laughs> so really, there is a kind of rhythm to life, if you will. And I think if we listen to our own hearts, there can be an understanding when either something is working out or something's not working out. In my own life, I like to think of the example of my own careers as, as really a, a good example of this. So, so I've had three careers so far in my life. Two of them, I think, were pretty successful. I'm in that second one that's pretty, I think, I'm thinking anyway, is pretty successful right now. But in between them, when I left the telephone company after 20 years, I had been a fused glass artist for a number of years, about three years prior to that. And I thought, I love doing this. I will make that my career. I got to tell you, this was an eye-opener because it was something that I really liked doing. It's something that I was reasonably good at, and yet I could not turn this in to a sustaining career to save my soul. I worked very hard at it, and what I, under, what I came to believe also is that there were huge elements of it that were not to my taste at all. Because what I found was, if you are a production artist, like this much time of it is actually the creative spirit part of it, right? And from then on, it's like, okay, now I need to make a hundred of them. And from then on, it's how do I market these? What magazines do I need to be in? How many galleries do I need to contact and load up the car with my stuff and take them down to a gallery to show things? How many fairs and, and things like that do I have to pack up my whole car and spend a weekend at some fairgrounds with, with things set up, right? And even, even in terms of the money-making aspect of it, when I really thought about it, the price of the raw materials, which is somewhat high for fused glass, Minus the 50% markup that the, uh, that the galleries have at best, sometimes it's 100% that the gallery owners get, on a $150 piece, I was getting about $20 to $25. This was no way to live. <laughs> and yet, I can tell you, there was some real soul-searching here because the creative part of it was something that I really loved, right? Okay. What this was telling me, though, was that it still wasn't right. Now, I gave it its fair due. I worked at this for about five years. I gave it maybe one more. Nancy would say maybe I was being a little bit codependent here on myself because I probably gave it maybe a year, maybe 18 months, more than I really needed to. It was that wishful, hopeful part of me thinking it's bound to take off. I'm bound to you know, be different or do different or whatever. But when all was said and done... I had to say no. And I had to make a little bit of leap of faith here. I'd been in science of mind for, for some time. And my leap of faith was in knowing that I could give up something that wasn't quite working out before I knew for sure what the next thing was. Have we all been in that position before where we're almost wanting to hold on to something even if it's painful 
because we don't quite know what's coming next. Sometimes it's a relationship that's painful. Sometimes it's a living situation that's painful. Sometimes it's a job that we've outgrown or is painful. Uh, I think we've all been in that experience of being uncomfortable with what we're doing, but just feeling like we're stuck in it. Like, I don't know what else I would do. And I think of that as kind of the comfortable pain. It's the pain that we're familiar with. It's the pain that we're used to. It's the pain that's bearable. And who knows what pain would come if I let that go. I got to tell you, though, when it's time to let something go, it's time to let something go. If we don't give up something, there will never be the room, there will never be the time, there will never be the opportunity, there will never be the interest to actually accomplish something that you really do love, that is nurturing, that is self-sustaining. And so I went through about an uncomfortable 18 months before I decided, you know, I'm absolutely going to put the same amount of effort into this thing called ministry and we'll see where it takes me. Something that I had not imagined that I would do before, but something that I was willing to give it its due and give it its try. This is a very, very powerful parable. And one of the other lessons that it tells me is we need to have a plan, right? The, the orchardsman here and the landowner came up with a plan. Now, theirs was pretty simple. We've given it three years. You know, the, the orchardsman who, who knew more about figs than the owner of the land, you know, who'd probably read up from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, <laughs> right, went to the landowner and said, no, let's give him one more year. It's like, I know about some figs here. So our plan will be we're going to fertilize it. I'm going to take extra care of it. And this time next year, the plan is then that's when we'll make our decision. I'm suggesting that we all need to have our own set of plans. Now, I can't tell you what they are. That's the beauty of these parables is they're for you to interpret. Find a place in your life that maybe doesn't quite seem to be working right now the way it is. Maybe consider you're already in that process of evaluating whether your fig tree right, is being productive or not. Or maybe it's something that you want to try brand new. Maybe your heart has been calling out to you to try something brand new for years and you haven't quite got the oomph in you to do it yet. Let's give it a try and let's put a plan with it. Because what tends to happen, right, is our thoughts tend to work sort of automatically. If the fig tree is our brain and the figs, uh, whether they're there or not, whether they're productive or not, are our thoughts, what I know about our minds is inertia tends to prevail. And if we're having predominant thoughts of lack, if we're having predominant thoughts of hopelessness or you know whatever it might be, we need to do something to derail them. I, I guess the metaphor here would be to do a little pruning on our fig tree. It may be something small. It may just be thinking to myself, you know, if I really want to have a very loving relationship which so far maybe is eluding me, what do I need to do? How might my thoughts be different? What courses of action? What kind of a plan could I put out to put myself in positions and in thought, uh, thought modes and ideas that more love is going to be in my life? You might think of it, I had someone come to me one time and, and her request was simple. I want you to pray about a new partner for me. I want a, a new life partner. 
And I said, well, what's your plan? And she kind of looked at me like, well, you'll pray and I'll get it, right? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, yeah, of course. But what's going to keep it from being like every other relationship you've ever had? Absolutely. I know my own power and, and my client's own power of bringing someone new into her life. I'm no doubt. I'm good at praying. And actually, this person was too. But I said, how's it going to be different this time? What are you willing to give up? What pruning of your thoughts, your mental processes, what, you know, how are we going to fertilize, if you will, these new sets of desires in you so that you just don't attract, you know, the same kind of person into your life again? It'd be like a different face, but really the same person. Life calls for planning. Life calls for us to be accountable to our own thoughts. Life calls for us to rise to the occasion to make our lives different. Yes, God is the co-creator, but God doesn't do it in a vacuum. God is the co-creator, meaning that we're right there in the seat next to God, right? This is a joint effort. So what is our actual plan for making a difference in our lives? And when will we know that it isn't working out, right? And that doesn't mean we're a failure. It doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong. But in the same way that I tried out doing fused glass as a profession rather than a hobby for a few years, there came a time when something in me said, you know, this is not going to support me, not in, in my enjoyment levels, not in my financial levels. This is not going to support me in the way that I choose to be supported. That can be part of your plan. How do you know when you're successful? And when I say successful, again, this is for you to interpret, but at a minimum, I would say, for you to be successful in any endeavor, whether it be a relationship or a job or a family experience, you need to feel good about yourself and the circumstances. It needs to be sustaining. Obviously, if, a job, if it's a job, that might mean money. If it's a relationship, sustaining means it's going to last and you're going to feel loved through it, right? So at a minimum, your plan, whatever this is, should call for you to be able to come to a decision point at some someplace along the way and say, am I being successful in this? Should I persist? Should I give the orchardman one more year, right? Should I maybe take one more class in fused glass? Or maybe for me, maybe I needed a, a, a class in marketing art <laughs> instead, right? Instead of more classes on how to be a better artist, maybe I needed a class, right? Was it time to redirect my efforts, do a little pruning? Or was it time to cut down the tree? Only you can answer these questions. But I will tell you, there are always other trees to plant. If anything, my, my life and my three careers, two of which I think were very successful, what they taught me was there is always another tree to be planted that will be wonderfully successful. It may not be the one you're nurturing right in this moment, and that is okay. 
Give it its full due. Come to the full understanding that you've given your 110% in whatever it is you're trying to do, whether it be a relationship, whether it be finances, whether it be a job, whether it be, you know, whatever you're passionate in. Know without question in your heart that you've given it your 110% and then develop a plan for really figuring out whether this is something that you want to do for the long run. Is this successful is this nurturing is this part of you is it still singing in your heart to you after whatever length of time is in your plan to know that it's going to be successful to know that it's something you want to continue with this is perhaps one of jesus's most simple parables and and i love it um twice Elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus has already dealt with fig trees. In one place, in one place beside the road, they stopped and, and they, it was a huge blessing. The tree was heavy with figs and he and the disciples had their fill. And it was kind of like the bounty of the land was before them. And then in another place, hardly one chapter later on, Jesus and his followers come to a fig tree that is barren. And do you know what he does? He withers it. Now, this is our kind, gentle, compassionate Jesus from the New Testament, right? He takes one look at the fig tree and just withers it. I am here to tell you that this same level of power and this same opportunity for changing your lives equally exists. There is a time for planting new trees, even as there is a time for cutting down an old one. There is a time to prune, yes. There is a time to fertilize, yes. And somehow in our own minds, we need to know, we have to have clarity around when it's time to make a complete shift in our course in our life. And all of these options are good, and all of these options we can plan for. It's the beauty of this parable. So I'd like to close today in kind of three ways. First of all, we've done two levels of interpreting this parable. We've done it from the physical level. We've done it from the metaphorical or from the um, um, metaphysical level. The other way to interpret it is the personal level. And you can already see where I'm going with it. But once again, I want you to put yourselves in the position of all of the elements of this story. So you are the fig tree. How are your thoughts, your actions, your patterns fruitful or unfruitful? This is a bit of homework. This is a bit of something you can take home with you and really take a look at your own lives, where it's going swimmingly well, where it needs some fine-tuning. And then from there on, I want you to look about the three general courses of actions here. We have the pruning, we have the fertilizing, and we have the cut it down and plant a new one. So areas in your life that are not going the way you want them to, I would ask you to be really brave. I would ask you to take a good hard look at the things that are not going well in your life and see if it needs a little extra help, if it needs a little fertilizing, if it just needs a little more time, but I want you to put a time limit on it. I don't want you to be unhappy for the rest of your lives in some significant area in your life. Set a time limit on it. Know how you'll know when it's time to move on. So that might be the little extra time, the little fertilization. 
What about the pruning? There are areas in your life, maybe friendships, maybe jobs, they simply need to be pruned. And I would suggest there may be people in this very room, I know I was one not that many years ago, when I needed to do a whole life about face. It's like the tree needed to come down. It was self-destructive. It was barren. So that's your homework for this week. I'm going to end with a quote from Ernest Holmes. This is from Spiritual Awareness, uh, published in 1972. Ernest Holmes said, Faith is more than an objective statement. We do not have perfect faith while anything contradictory denies the affirmation with our own lips. The Bible says that we must know in our heart when the intellect is no longer contradicted by our emotional reactions to life, then the word of our mouth will become immediately bearing fruit. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life itself. And what I know about life, even as the fig tree, it can be fruitful and it can have the appearance of barrenness. This too is God. God's will is to say yes to every person, to every idea. God's will is to say, and so it is, at the beginning of things. Even as we form the thoughts, even as we form the ideas, it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And what I know on this day is that each one of us has that ability to be introspective, that ability to understand what is in our best interest, the ability to make a plan, that each person in this room has that ability to know what's good for them and the clarity of listening to that still small voice of God to know when it's time to prune, to know when it's time to fertilize, to know if indeed some major thing in our life needs to be fully replaced. And as co-creators, I know that for each person here, God is right there with each and every one of us. That there is no having to do this alone. That the full power, the full presence, the full majesty, the full love of God is here as co-creator to help each one of us obtaining our heart's desire. Obtaining that which nurtures our soul and our minds. To bring about those feelings that we so desire of love and inclusion, of joy and of peace. This is the promise of God. This is the promise of Jesus in the New Testament. And so I am simply grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here on this beautiful day as I see the face of God resplendent in each face in this room. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.